0: two aspects of salvation and the consequences. Before I believed in Jesus the Messiah, I was invited to join a Bible study group. They were anxious that I be saved, so the mantra became Romans ten nine and 10, at least part of it. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. However, I didn't hear the two separate conditions that followed the if. I only heard that I had to believe in Jesus to be saved. Perhaps that's what the members of the group were telling me, and that is the message among most Christians today. It wasn't until I became a serious student of the Bible that I applied what I was learning to Paul's powerful testimony in Romans chapters 9 to 11. I came to realize two things. First, Since Paul was addressing Jews in Rome, most Christian commentaries and teachings viewed these Jews as not saved. Second, the appreciation of what it meant to be saved was only a surface understanding. Let us put the first idea to rest. Paul was writing to a mixed group of believers in Christ composed of both Jews and Gentiles. All were believers in Christ, but the Jews in the group had assumed a leadership role and were teaching that circumcision and knowledge of the law were requirements for participation in God's covenant community. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he calls this a false gospel. However, incorrect teaching does not cancel one's promise of future eternal life if the person believes in Yeshua the Messiah. If it did, there would be a lot of Christians today who would lose their promise of salvation. So Paul is addressing Jewish believers in Christ whose teaching needed to be corrected. Now we come to the concept of salvation. Who will be saved and who will not be saved? This is a critical question because Christian theology often offers several possible answers. For example, some have concluded that faith in Christ alone is the requirement for salvation. This interpretation is sometimes called once saved, always saved. However, it is hard to believe that murderers and flagrant sinners who believe in Christ will be saved. So others suggest that many who claim to believe are not really believing in their hearts. True faith, they insist, will produce fruit. So only those who are walking in the love and faith of Christ are bearing fruit in their walk with God. That is, they are the only ones who will be saved. Then there is a third, relatively new interpretation that has become quite popular. It is commonly called Lordship Salvation, which suggests that only those who make Yeshua Lord in their lives will be saved, which narrows the field significantly. As we proceed to examine the concept of salvation in Paul's message to the Jewish believers in Rome, we will be exploring who will be saved. How will they be saved? and the consequences of salvation, as Paul and his first century Jewish brethren would have perceived this concept of who belongs to God. Paul begins with an exhortation that few stop to appreciate. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for salvation. That's Romans chapter 10, verse 1, and he's addressing these Jewish believers in Rome. Other Bible versions translate they might be saved there are two serious problems with a common understanding of this opening declaration most assume that salvation means eternal life with god i will demonstrate this is not correct it is referring to what i call this second aspect of salvation which deals with our daily lives then we ask who are the brethren whom paul is addressing Many have concluded that the brethren are the Gentiles in Rome because they are the true believers in Christ, thus distinguishing between Gentiles who, they claim, are real Christians in contrast to the unbelieving Jews who will not be saved. I am sure you are not surprised that I do not agree with this interpretation. It is now a serious obligation on our part to understand what it means to be saved and the consequences of salvation. I will begin by sharing my conclusion. There are two aspects of salvation. First is when a person believes in Yeshua the Messiah, which gives that person the promise of future eternal life with God. However, there is a second aspect of salvation that church doctrine refers to as discipleship, but fails to connect it with the concept of salvation. To be saved, which is salvation, simply means to be rescued from one thing and delivered to another. In the first aspect of salvation we are rescued from death which is the consequence of sin and delivered by promise to eternal life with god the second aspect of salvation refers to our daily way of living if we are sinners in any way the consequence is pain and suffering caused by the world However, if we overcome sin in our lives, we are rescued from this pain and suffering and delivered into a life of peace and harmony with God through our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the second aspect of salvation. If you talk to Jews today about being saved, they will likely respond with a confused expression or simply smile as they dismiss the concept. Why? Because Scripture declares that God is their father. That's Deuteronomy 32.7. And they are his firstborn son. That's Exodus 4.22. Therefore, they perceive themselves as already belonging to God. They are God's chosen people whom God has selected to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Belonging to God is their equivalent way of saying in Christian lingo, that they are saved. Therefore, Jews are focused on the second aspect of salvation rather than the first. Their concern is study of the law so they can walk in ways that please God. Now consider the Jews in Rome. After a brief introduction, Paul begins his discourse by uncovering new understanding from Scripture using a method of Midrash that discloses information about the inheritance of the people of Israel. All the Jews are born to a special inheritance called the birthright, to which the firstborn son is entitled, and God declared the people of Israel to be his firstborn son. The birthright gave a position of leadership. However, Paul then explained from the Midrash that this Inheritance of leadership could be lost for unworthy behavior. However, the one who lost the birthright still belonged to God, as we see with Reuben, the firstborn son of Jacob, who was born to the birthright but lost it. However, the tribe of Reuben still had an inheritance, just not the inheritance of the birthright. The tribe of Reuben inherited a portion of land in the promised land. At this point, I strongly encourage you to replace the Christian term saved which is teeming with theological trappings with those who belong to God. The Jews in Rome belonged to God partly because they were Jews but also because of their faith in Christ. They had the first aspect of salvation and a leadership role as firstborn sons entitled to the inheritance of the birthright. However, they were at risk of losing this birthright because of their unworthy behavior of teaching a false doctrine. It was their second aspect of salvation that was in jeopardy. At this point, we are ready to consider Paul's explanation about the two aspects of salvation and the consequences. I am going to take you to a chiastic construction in Romans 10:9 and 10 that is at the heart of what Paul is telling us about salvation. Chiasm is an ancient literary device that uses parallel lines to point to a chiastic center. You you have probably always read Romans 10, 9, and 10 as one continuous sentence. You may even have memorized it since evangelicals often use this passage as a witness to bring people to Christ. However, Paul is not addressing these words to unbelievers. He is speaking to believers in Christ who are not fully appropriating the second aspect of salvation, which would allow them to walk in the fullness of life in service to God. So let us begin by scrutinizing this chiastic construction in Romans ten nine and 10. We refer to this pattern as an A, B, C, B, A construction. A1. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, B one. And believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead the chiastic center c is you will be saved now we have the parallel line b2 for the with the heart man believes resulting in righteousness and the parallel line a2 and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation as you consider this chiasm start start with the center and i'll, I'll work through it with you here the center declares you will be saved which means that the entire chiastic construction is about salvation. However, you must remember that there are two aspects of salvation. We'll start with the the B lines because they're closest to the chiastic center. The B lines are about the first aspect of salvation. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, for with the heart man believes resulting in salvation. So that's the first aspect of salvation, which is believe and be saved. You have the promise of eternal life with God. There is a commanding relationship between the first and second B lines, which is cause and effect. Now, first a person must believe in his heart that God raised Yeshua from the dead, and then the result will be righteousness, which is a condition before starting to walk in the world. This is called a new birth, because the newborn baby has no sin. This is the first aspect of salvation that results when a person first believes in Yeshua the Messiah, that person now belongs to God. Okay, we're ready now to look at the A lines, which are farther away from the heart of the chiastic center. So they can only occur after the action of the B lines. They start with a conditional if clause. If, You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. What makes the A-lines parallel is the repetition of confess and mouth. These A-lines also have a cause and effect relationship. After becoming a child of God, a person is encouraged to confess Yeshua as Lord the result will be the second aspect of salvation, which is wholeness of life now. The salvation mentioned here in the, in the second A line is the second aspect of salvation when a person submits in obedience to their Lord, Yeshua. Thus, the chiastic center, which is you will be saved, is related to both the first and the second aspects of salvation. The first aspect of salvation, which is the promise of eternal life, is in the B lines. And the second aspect of salvation, which is the wholeness of life now, in a close relationship with your Lord Yeshua, is in the A lines. We must now ask, how does this chiastic construction relate to Paul's agony about the the Jews to whom he was writing in Rome? We hear Paul cry, brethren, brethren. My heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for salvation. That's Romans 10.1. Paul is referring to the second aspect of salvation. These Jews in Rome already belonged to God as children of Israel. They had then believed in Yeshua the Messiah, which had given them God's gift of the Holy Spirit through their faith in Christ. However, they were not walking in the power of the Spirit. They were still entrenched in their tradition of knowing the law as the way to a walk of righteousness. How many of us today are not led by the Spirit to walk in righteousness? How many of us are not fully appropriating the second aspect of our salvation? Paul is pouring out his heart to all believers in Christ encouraging them to walk in the ways of God by submitting to Yeshua as their Lord and Master. Paul is using the language of judgment as a harsh stick of instruction, but he is also holding out the carrot of the remnant.